Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Endpoint Enigma. Today, we're joined by Chris Hazelton, who's the Director of Security Solutions at Lookout. Chris has over 12 years of experience in the industry, and I was hoping maybe, Chris, you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. Hey, Hank. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, so I got here, I woke up and uh, walked to my desk. <laughs> Touche. Sorry, couldn't help myself there. But um, yeah, so so been uh, been in this space for a while. Been with Lookout for about two years. Before that, I was with BlackBerry UEM Solution, BlackBerry Dynamics, and BlackBerry Cybersecurity Services. Uh, before that, I was an analyst for about 10 years, uh, focused on enterprise mobility and mid-mobility. So I've really been kind of focused on mobility for most of the 12 years. Yeah, mobile enough to get up and get to your desk this morning. So look, I think we can kind of hop right into it here. Obviously, our topic today is mobile phishing. This is a big concern globally, both on that personal level, but also for businesses, organizations, uh, people who are handling sensitive data, as obviously is the case across the board for the security industry. So, you know, as people work on their devices, you know, access corporate data, even if it's just email, up to anything like research data. There's also that side of it where people are interacting with others socially on their devices, doing things like mobile banking, telehealth, all that. So Chris, in your view, what's changed over the last few years um, that's really putting mobile phishing at the forefront of these security conversations? And I think it's really come to the forefront in the last couple, you know, four months with the pandemic. So the move to digital everything, mobile everything, with the requirement to leave the office, your work life looks very much like your personal life. You're using personal devices like smartphones and tablets to get entertainment, but also to be productive. And that essentially means that the majority of your day is on a mobile device. You have WhatsApp. And then in business, people are using email, but then they're now moving to things like Slack and Teams and what also is coming is the these cloud productivity. So you have uh, Office 365, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and you have Google pushing that as well. So you have Google Sheets, uh, Spreadsheets, Docs, and Slides. So in every cloud service has a mobile app. People are spending more time on these mobile devices. And so uh, hackers are realizing that and they're saying, okay, wait, we need to go where uh, the targets are and the targets are on their mobile device. So there are a few things that you mentioned there that I want to dive into in, in a second, but to give a little bit of context to people who maybe aren't quite as familiar with mobile phishing, are there any numbers you can share or anything that really shows how it's growing and, and just how prevalent it is? Over the last uh, 18 months, we've been looking at the encounter rates for our users of our phishing protection solution. And these are both consumers and, and enterprise. And what's interesting is that, you know, the, the enterprise has been, has, has seen some interesting trends because these are users who have phishing training and they include the mobile topic, but we're still seeing these encounter rates that are pretty high. And so just as an example, so for Q3 of 2019 and Q4, we saw generally about 15 or 6 to 16% encountered at least one phishing link in a quarter. But then when we went from uh, Q4 of 2019 into uh, the end through Q1 of 2019, we saw a big jump. So we saw over 37% increase in encounter rates for our customers in terms of mobile phishing. 
and really the pandemic provided this topic that is extremely horizontal and interest and broad and interest that everybody wanted to want to know. And so, you know, putting up a site that talks about uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus, you're going to get hits and, and that's an opportunity to, to fish uh, and try to capture credentials or, or try to drop uh, surveillance where spyware on the you know, target's device. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's almost human nature. Um, you know, people constantly want to be in touch with friends and family. They want to be as informed as possible. And, you know, they want to know what's going on and be able to talk about it with people. It's kind of this natural want or need to connect and be connected. So in that sense, what about mobile phishing is so unique in your opinion? What makes it so appealing to those people that say, I want to steal corporate logging credentials or something like that. We saw just the other day, a whole bunch of uh, high-profile Twitter accounts uh, started tweeting out this Bitcoin wallet code saying, you know, from people like Bill Gates and Kanye West and Elon Musk saying, oh, if you send me $1,000, I'll send you $2,000 back. This is only good for a half hour. And within a pretty short amount of time, I think about $20,000 worth of Bitcoin had been sent to that account. So what makes it all so appealing to these actors to use mobile phishing, why is it so effective? On mobile, it sometimes it's just that there is so much more trust or lack of awareness by users that they can be targeted by phishing. Email has been the primary communication method for mobile for a while and text messaging. And so it's a little bit foreign for people to think about there can be a phishing link through WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, any messaging channel. And for businesses, they think they're protected because, oh, I've locked down corporate email. No one can, can, it'll be hard for people to fish us because we will stop any email getting to a user, regardless of the device, if it has a link that we identify as phishing. But then that you miss the majority of phishing on mobile if you just focus on email. So you're missing all the other messaging channels. And at the same time, people just haven't really kind of connected the dots that they can be fished through these other um, other tools. And because in large part, you you think you know who you're talking to in some of these messaging applications, social media. And so if someone is able to, in that Twitter example, I mean, that's very interesting that in this case, it's very likely that a Twitter employee was, they were targeted through mobile and uh, it, because they have the smaller screen, because they think that it, it, this may be another Twitter employee or maybe one of those important Twitter VIP customers saying, hey, help me, give, give me my, my credentials. I'm on my mobile phone. That The respondent is, is on their mobile phone or you know, they're sitting there and they have a high level of, uh, of response requirement to, to respond to President Obama and his team that they need to give the access to their credentials so they can continue to use Twitter. It's very likely that maybe some of those requests were approved through mobile. It's that kind of trust. It's the lack of awareness. And it's things like, I've got better things to do than check the validity of a message that I receive on my mobile device. And the, you could be sent uh, what looks like a URL, but it's HTML code meant to mask uh, the true URL. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that if you hold a, a link, uh, essentially hovering a link on mobile, you can preview that on iOS and, and Android. But then you might try to hover and you accidentally click it or, you know, it, it just, there's a lot of challenges there on mobile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I just double checked and uh, Twitter actually acknowledged that this whole thing was a result of 
coordinated social engineering attacks. And those are, I mean, social engineering happens on social media. So you said the likelihood that something like this could occur, could have been accessed, carried out via mobile, it seems to be pretty high. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they add anything more to that as they investigate more. But you're right. A, a lot of the red flags that you could normally find on desktop, it's just not doable on mobile. I mean, look at your browser where it shortens the URL that you're accessing. It's really not that hard. You can spoof a URL pretty easily and uh, get someone to think they're on a site when in reality they're they're somewhere else. So, you know, I sometimes, you know, when we when we talk to other people in the market or or just other security individuals, um, I find that some people honestly aren't quite as convinced. I think a lot of people, like you said, they have that level of trust where they think they're going to be protected. But just to play a scenario, which honestly we've all happens, we've seen it happen, you know, in the industry. Um, but something like when, let's say, I get sent a message on any platform, pretend you know this this message is from you know with my CEO's name or maybe another colleague, and and it includes a phishing link. If if I click it, but nothing really happens. I mean, is that still is that still a threat? Yeah, I mean, it, there's two things that can happen when you click on a phishing link. There's two goals. One is to kind of capture credentials for an account, and that could be personal, financial, or business. And um, then, then the other is to like trick you into installing uh, malicious software, which could then be used to record everything you do on that device, where you are, what you say, who you communicate with, where you go. And uh, that can be pretty dangerous. And I think, you know, the idea in a lot of these attacks is to target a huge audience. And so, you know, kind of shotgun approach to target a lot of people, but you're, you're really looking for people that are, you know, aren't paying attention and can get duped. And they don't want to spend a lot of time trying to convince someone to do something. So there's almost a uh, an argument that some of these attacks are are kind of poorly done a little bit on purpose because they're looking to target someone who is not paying attention that maybe not has the training or, or awareness and then just without question goes down the path of doing what that attacker wants them to do either entering credentials or you know, side loading an application or sharing other critical information about the organization or about its infrastructure um so so that's kind of one thing so there is a a moment where you can probably save yourself but as soon as you start to enter anything into fields or say you have a password aggregator it's very unlikely that that password aggregator would actually enter anything because it, it's keying off the URL. It may not recognize the URL, um, but the user may say, "No, no, no! Put put that information there. Do it, do it, do it." Oh, it's this, this aggregator's not working, and, and it's trying to save you. Yet you're you're killing yourself by putting all this information in there. So th that's where they start to kind of capture things, and then they're looking to capture um, your username, password. Uh, two-factor authentication to kind of better understand the infrastructure that they're kind of targeting and wanting to get into. So there is a way to kind of pull back, but do need to be very, very careful. Yeah, for sure. And it's like that sense of urgency or that sense of, uh, like you said, okay, even if the password aggregator is trying to save you, you're like, no, I know, I know this is where I want to go. Now I'm almost going to term it as, as blind trust rather than having trust issues with the service that you're dealing with. But looking at it more from a historical context, you know, I, you acknowledge that people think of phishing coming in by email, SMS, sure, um, definitely more so recently. But what about some of the, you've mentioned a couple of things that people don't really think of, kind of the more social media side, some of the apps that people just say, oh, well, you know, that's that's okay. I mean, do you think that 
that is a way the bad guys basically are are getting in. And also, you know, are they really looking at it as something where they know that people are accessing all sorts of data, you know, both both work and personal from the same device? I mean, does that play into it? Um, what are some of the more kind of modern factors that you think that are leading to this greater issue? There are specific work applications on your phone. There are very specific personal applications, but a lot of roles in an organization require you to engage with an outside audience. And and so you may see communications kind of extending over multiple applications, extending out of email. And so um, a really kind of good example is, and you touched on this, is, you know, uh, a, a head, uh, you know, an executive in a company or a CEO of a company uh, communicating and needing information very, very quickly. And the best way to do that is through a text message to one of your employees. And, you know, you, you're texting even like a corporate owned device and the CEO is, is used to and expecting because it is a text message, immediate response, email, you get an email and people are like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to that within like 24 hours and I'm, I'm within the, the range of acceptable time. Um, obviously an email from your CEO, you're going to respond to much quickly, but you're, you're not, you're not checking. There isn't the primacy of uh, notifications that text messages are given uh, versus email. Um, so you get a text message. Uh, it's not from a number that you recognize, but it's, hi, I'm uh, Joe Schmo, your CEO, your boss's 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 boss. I need you to wire me money immediately, Mrs. Finance person. And that has absolutely um, happened. You see, you know, that urgency, the impersonation of someone in authority within an organization, and then using that channel of text messaging rather than email to drive additional urgency and pressure to make a mistake. Just because you're just not thinking oh, this person knows who my CEO is. They know who I am. Oh, they must be who they are. And there's no way, and particularly in the era of COVID-19 pandemic, remote worker, you can't stand up and lean over a cubicle and say, hey, hey uh, do you know the phone number for our CEO? Is this really him? Instead, you're thinking, I need to react as quickly as possible. This is my CEO and I'm going to wire those funds. So it's uh, that's absolutely has happened. It's interesting you put it in that context because that's always been the case. The way that cyber attacks in, in any context in the last 25 years, that's how they've always worked, right? It's the think about there were pop ups were really a thing, and um, you get a pop up, you know, oh, you're, you know, from what looked like, let's just say you were on a Windows computer, from what looked like Microsoft, and it says, oh, you need to call us immediately. The site that you're accessing is. Uh, is malicious. It's stealing all your stuff. Uh, call this number. You get on the phone with somebody because you're. Oh my god! Oh my god! This this is happening. And, and um, you know, it's it's the same creating that really really high pressure situation like where you may not be thinking as straightforward as you usually do. The the last thing I do want to ask you about is we've talked a lot about these issues. Um, we've talked about the commonalities between the past and now. We've talked about the issues with uh, spotting this on mobile. From your perspective as as someone who's a, who's a true professional in mobility, what do you think people can be doing, you know, from a personal perspective and from a more organizational perspective to make sure that they are not going to be falling victim to these types of attacks? There, there is a lot of emphasis on phishing, phishing training, cybersecurity, cybersecurity awareness. You know, mobile is not commonly in that discussion, and so 
organizations and users too. Like when you look across everything that you need to secure in your life, you have your information that is out there uh, in the cloud. Uh, you have information that is on your laptop, and then you have all the information on your mobile device, or your mobile device is a gateway, just like your laptop, to that data in, in the cloud. And so there's this lack of awareness that you you need to also protect that mobile device, just as you're protecting the laptop, just as you're protecting the cloud. And that you know, for an organization, it's the same. Like you deploy and you hand someone a laptop. There's antivirus on their laptop. There's phishing tools around the email. And there's maybe a VPN if you're at a hotel or travel or whatever, or you're connecting zero trust. Even you're using the VPN when you're in your office. But of course, nobody's in their office anymore. So we're all remote. So your zero trust is even more applicable. But then on mobile, uh, Gartner uh, forecasts that the entire kind of endpoints security market is about $7 billion in, in 2020. At the same time, they forecast that the mobile component of that for mobile security is about 300 million. But then you look at how much time do you spend throughout the day on your laptop versus how much you spend on your mobile phone and extend that out to 100 employees, 500, 10,000 employees, 100,000 employees. That's a lot of uh, opportunity for cyber attackers to target your organization, your users, your corporate data. And so my advice is apply the same principles that you do to a desktop to a mobile device because a mobile device can access just as much information about uh, your organization or a user, if not more, because that device is often work and personal so there are more channels to target, and that is through uh, mobile phishing. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's uh, almost like a um, an exponential expansion of uh, of the risk, uh, whether it's risk to the to the company as a whole or um, you know risk just to you personally. So, Chris, I think that's all we got for you today. Um, thanks so much for joining us today on Endpoint Enigma. And for those listening, thanks for tuning in. If mobile phishing is something that is particularly interesting to you, um, even just from a personal perspective, we actually did put out a state of mobile phishing report earlier this year. This is something that covers kind of how we got to where we are in mobile phishing. It talks about some scenarios that tie the financial risk to a mobile phishing attack. It's it's pretty interesting. And you can just go to lookout.com. It's on there. Give it a download, give it a read. And then also give us a follow on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, just look out. And uh, if you're particularly interested, again, in the phishing side of things, we do run a Twitter account called Phishing AI. It's one word. Give that a follow. So thanks again, everybody. And Chris, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today.